You know, as we sit here this morning, the whole world has its eyes tuned on Europe and in particular the Ukraine and what's going on in that region of the world. And as we've been talking on Wednesday nights, quite likely it has some connection to prophecy and eventual future events. But the whole world has taken notice, haven't they? Everybody's watching Everybody's trying to figure out what is the next thing or what's the next step. We're praying for the church in the Ukraine and in, in Russia too, by the way, Christians there. And uh, we're praying for all of these and uh, watching it very carefully. But the world is watching because the world is concerned about the outcome, and rightfully so. But do you realize that there is another war that's going on, and it has been going on for the ages, and it gets very little attention In fact, the truth is most people aren't really that concerned about this other war that's going on, including Christians. But it is the war that has the greatest consequences yet to be revealed. It is the eternal war that has been going on. It is the cosmic spiritual war between the forces of Satan and his dark kingdom and the forces of light and the kingdom of God. Craig uh, Brian Larson uh, referred to an article from National Geographic magazine a few years back about the Alaskan bull moose. And the article reports that the males of that species will battle for dominance uh, during their fall breeding season. Literally, they go head-to-head with one another. I don't know if you've ever seen videos of them crunching their antlers together. It's a fascinating process, but they're They're battling for dominance when they do that. And often the antlers, their only weapon, are broken in that that battle, and that ensures defeat for one of these bull mooses. The heftiest moose uh, in the end with the largest and strongest antlers are the moose that triumph. And therefore, the battle for dominance is really won in the season before the season. You see, their antlers are developed in the summertime when the mooses eat continually. And their antler growth is determined by the quality of the food that they eat. So the moose that eats the best diet grows the best antlers and gains the most weight and, of course, is most likely to win in the fall battles. Those that eat inadequately sport weaker antlers and less bulk and are more victimized. There's a lesson there for us, don't you think? That spiritual battles await us. Satan will choose the season of his assault, and we will be either victorious or we will fail. And much of that depends on what we do now before we enter the intensity of those spiritual wars. By the way, Larson went on to say that there's what he calls the bull moose principle, and that is that we develop enduring faith and strength and wisdom for spiritual warfare before they're ever needed. I think that's true. Now, some of you are here today, and some of you are watching on television and by live stream, and you're in an an intense spiritual battle right now. Uh, You're feeling the heat of the battle and the pressure of the battle. Some of you say, well, I'm not really in a spiritual battle right now. The truth is there is a battle going on whether you feel the intensity of it or not. And by the way, the season is coming when that battle will become more pronounced in your life. 
And so that's why right now is important. That's why what you do to prepare for the battle is so important. And today, that's what I want to talk with you about. If you're going to be a victorious Christian, you're going to have to understand this whole matter of spiritual warfare. What is it, what is it about? And how can I be equipped for the battle that most surely will come in my life? If you're going through it right now, what we'll talk about today will be helpful. If you aren't in the intensity of it, you may not realize that some of the past battles you have gone through have been spiritual battles. Do you know I really believe this after over four decades of ministry and talking with people and witnessing what goes on in their life? I, I, I think there's very few occasions when we're not in some kind of spiritual battle, whether we recognize it or not. And the Bible speaks to us about this. And so if you've got your Bibles open to Ephesians 6 and you're physically able to do so, stand with me this morning as we read from God's Word, beginning in verse 10, chapter 6, Paul writes and says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Lord Jesus, now speak to us this morning. There are people who are listening to us uh, by live stream and watching and uh, Father, by television and radio and in this live audience. And Father, uh, we desire for you to speak your truth into our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that you will teach us more about this matter of spiritual warfare, in particular because, God, we know if we're not in it right at the moment, the intensity of it, it we will be at some point. And Father, we want to face and fight uh, as good soldiers of the kingdom the kingdom of God. We thank you, Father, for the assurances that you give us in spiritual warfare. Now teach us, instruct us, educate us, enlighten us, and transform us with your word. We pray and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now, if you had been reading through the book of Ephesians prior to the, this last portion that we just read, which is really Paul's concluding remarks, there is a uh, several common themes, but one in particular is our walk. That word is used frequently in the book of Ephesians, and it refers to our behavior, how we live our lives. And so Paul is coaching and instructing these Ephesian Christians about their walk, about their walk, about their behavior. But in these concluding remarks, he suddenly changes the discussion to the forces behind the Christian's ability to walk the Christian life. And there's a sudden change, almost an abrupt change. And he shifts a gear and he goes into this discussion of spiritual warfare. Now, there is a connection. The connection is because this battle is raging and it is raging about you. You're a part of the battle whether you realize it or not. It is going to inhibit or... Uh, or, or attempt to undermine your ability to walk with God. And so he says, finally, 
Finally, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord. So I've been telling you to walk, and I've been talking to you about your behavior, but your behavior, he is saying, is affected by this thing that's going on in the heavenlies, which is a spiritual war. And you are part of that spiritual battle. I guess it would be great if we could say, no thanks, I, that's not, I'm not signing up for that battle. But you can't. You can't say that. Did you know that lost souls are a part of that battle? Do you know that's why we're trying to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ? So the, the kingdom of darkness, the devil and his, uh, and his warfare is an attempt to keep people from coming into the kingdom. The devil's attack on you is to discourage you so that you will lose heart and you will be bad soldiers for the kingdom having no impact on the lost souls. Does that make sense? And so that's what this thing is all about. And so the devil is and uh, uh, his henchmen are strategizing and scheming, he says. Here's what it means. Your life is a battlefield. Simply put, your life's a battlefield. And this is the most detailed passage in all of the Bible that's related to spiritual warfare. No, no passage, many passages in the Scripture affirm Daniel has some uh, uh, instruction and enlightenment about spiritual warfare. There are other places. Jude has it. The Bible affirms spiritual warfare in several places, but no place in the Scripture gives us more and in more detail about this battle that is raging, this uh, spiritual battlefield than Ephesians chapter 6. And I've only taken uh, three verses there. There's so much more to continue on uh, and I would encourage you to do that, to read verse 13 and following. But this morning in particular, I want to show you three things that will help you be a victorious Christian in the spiritual battle that all of us face. And so let me show you three things. First of all, I want you to notice that Paul speaks of our strength and our source. In verse 10, keep your Bible open so you can reference it. Verse 10, look what he says. He says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Uh, in this concluding admonition, Paul is urging us to a greater dependence on the Lord for our strength, for a greater dependence on His power in order to face our greatest enemy and to experience victory in that battle. Now, the aim, he says earlier, look over at verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. Uh, notice he says, remember I told you the, this theme about walk? He says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This whole idea of walking worthy of God is reflective of this profound struggle that goes on uh, beyond simply just putting forth effort, human effort. I'm just going to walk worthy of God. Uh, in my own strength. Here's what he's saying in verse 10. Uh, for you to walk worthily of God, you're going to have to have strength beyond yourself. You're not going to just be able to do it on, on your own. There is this struggle going on, and because of that, you've got to have power. And it's power you can't generate on your own. You may have a, a great bit of willpower. There are a lot of people that are real good with their willpower, but sooner or later, here's what Paul is saying, your willpower will not carry you through the battle. Your willpower will not enable you to walk worthy uh, in a worthy manner that pleases God. You've got to have help. And so he says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. There are extremely powerful spiritual beings 
that are strategizing and attempting to carry out plans to derail the very best intentions of Christians and their desire to live for God. These forces are working constantly. They never take a vacation. They're under the leadership of the devil himself. He can't be uh, everywhere, and so he sends his demonic hordes into the world uh, with the mission of undermining the work of God and your ability to uh, walk with God. And so Paul is reminding us of that. He's reminding them that they must have a strength and a, a, a power that goes beyond them. And there are several things that I think are worth noting in that regard. First of all, I think we need to remember that our strength is no match for the devil. Never believe that you're a match for the devil. I don't care how spiritually strong you may perceive yourself to be. You are no match for the devil. And Paul, that's why Paul is saying, uh, be strong in the Lord, not in your own strength. We must not make the mistake of thinking that we are smarter or more capable uh, than the devil himself. Without God's strength, uh, you will lose that battle. Does that make sense? D.L. Moody said this. He said, my friends, you're no match for Satan. When he wants to fight you, just run to your older brother, Jesus, who is more than a match for the devil and all of his henchmen in hell. So we have to remember that our strength is no match for the devil. A second thing we ought to remember is that God makes available his power and his divine resources. So we're no match for the devil, but the good news is God makes available his power and his resources to us. And it's a power that is available that will enable you to resist the assaults of the hostile spirits of the kingdom of darkness. It is available to you. And that's why he says, be strong in the Lord. In other words, there is a power that you can rely on. It's available. He says, I'm telling you, remember that you have God's power available to you. And then third, I would say, we must remember that it's up to us to be strong in the Lord. Now you said, I thought you said we can't do this on our own. No, no, no. Now listen, that's, you can't. You've got to have the strength and the power of God working through you to fight successfully and be a victorious Christian. But you have to make the decision to tap into the power. Why else is he saying, you, he, this is the way we would say, you be strong in the Lord. Now, when you study that in the, the Greek, here's what uh, that means. It means, uh, I command you. It is an imperative. So Paul is not saying, uh, okay, uh, it's a good idea to be strong in the Lord. He's saying, be strong in the Lord. This is an imperative. This is a command because you can't fight without the Lord. So you, but you have to choose to be strong in the Lord. You know, one of the things that's so wonderful about our relationship with God is he never forces us to live for him. But he says, if you will, then here's what I will do. Uh, it's kind of that covenant idea of relationship. So because I, I'm going to be strong in the Lord, there's his strength and his might. I'm going to tap into it. He says, then, then it's yours. I'll make it available. So we have to remember that this is a command, which means that you and I decide whether or not we will be strong in him. It reminds me of another command in James chapter 4 and verse 7 that says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Did you know that's a command in the Greek? Same thing. He said, but here's the emphasis. You have to get to the place where you say, I am going to depend on the strength of the Lord. 
I'm going to resist the devil in the strength of the Lord. You have to get to that place where you say, I will be strong in him because I don't have the strength to fight him. Now, I bet you already probably know that about yourself, and most of us do. The issue is that we break down at the point of determining to draw our strength from God. We, there's something about us, that, that rugged individualism kind of thing that is so characterized, much, especially of American culture through the, uh, through the decades, is just kind of, you know, you just kind of do your thing. You just stand and you resist. And sometimes we say, I, we get to that place where we say, I don't know if I, can, if I can do that, but we fail to tap in to the resources that are ours. And if we're going to defeat the enemy, we're going to have to be strong in the Lord. We're going to have to decide, I'm going to rely on his strength. General George Patton once made this uh, statement. It's, it's very good. He said, the, the, the key to winning a war is not giving your life for your country. But the key to winning a war is seeing that your enemy gives his life for his country. That makes sense, doesn't it? And so if we're going to win the war, it's not going to be because we go down. Well, I went down for God. No, no. It's because the enemy went down because of God and because of God in you. You have access to power. Whether you tap into that power is up to you. But you don't have to fight alone. You have the helper. Jesus talked about the helper in his book, Healing the Masculine Soul. Gordon Dalby says that when Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit, he's talking about over in, in John, he refers to him as the paraclete. That's the Greek word for helper, paraclete. And it actually is a word, if you, if you chase it a little bit, it is a word that comes from ancient, the ancient armies. It, it is a term that referred to ancient, uh, ancient warriors in the Greek army. And here's what they do. These ancient war warriors would go into battle in pairs. And when the enemy attacked them, they would, uh, uh, they would strike up uh, the, their position like this, back to back. So they had each other's blind side. Have you ever heard this phrase, I got your back? That's where it comes from, this idea of I've got your back and you've got my back. I'm watching the enemy this way, and he's watching the enemy that way. And that's where that word paraclete. And so the, to the Greek soldiers, their, their battle partner was called a paraclete. Isn't that cool? That's the same word that Jesus used of the Holy Spirit. That he is the paraclete. He is the one who comes aside. He is the one who has our back. He's in the battle with us. God doesn't send us out to fight the good fight alone. We have a partner. And by the way, he's more than adequate. What I would say about our paraclete is he doesn't just fight like, like this. He fights all the way around, 360 for us. He's got us covered. He's got your back covered. He's got your front covered. He's got your side covered. He's got the bottom covered. He's got the top covered. He's got you covered. And that's why we don't have to go into battle alone. So don't fight the enemy without the paraclete. Be strong in the strength of the might of the Lord. That's what we're being told here, all right? If you want to be victorious as a Christian, you have to understand it is not by your strength, not by strength, not by might, but by my power, says the Lord of hosts. And then secondly, I want you to notice, I want you to notice our strategy and our stance. 
Verse 11 refers to that. Put on the whole armor of God. Notice that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God so you can stand. That is our strategy and our stance. We're not told to to fight the enemy without a plan. Spiritual warfare is not something that you have to make up as you go. You don't have to figure it out as you go. God's already given you instructions on how to to fight the spiritual battles that are going on and raging uh, in your life. You don't have to make it up. God's given us power, but he's also given us his strategy, which is, here's his strategy for you in the war. It is to put on his armor. That's what he says. And by the way, he doesn't just say put on some of the armor. He says put on the whole armor of God. And he talks about that in verses 13 and following. That's why I tell you, you go and read the rest of this chapter this week, and you'll see the the particular pieces of the armor that you're told to put on. Well, you know, many of you do at least, that our grandsons were in town this past week, and we sent them home yesterday. That's really not the right word. We didn't send them. We'd have kept them. But they had to go home. And, you know, that's a tough thing to watch them get in the car. And then my grandson's saying, Pops, I wish I could stay longer. Pops, I wish I could stay longer. I almost, I almost took him out of the car and said, y'all go. We're, we're, he's staying. He wants to stay longer. But you know how that goes. If you're a grandparent, you know how that, that goes. And one day this week, after I got home from the office, I was hanging some stuff. And here's the great thing about, about uh, grandkids. They just want to be with you. I mean, they're, it's just fun just to be with you, you know? And so I'm in my closet, and I'm hanging some stuff up. And he says, Pops, can I come in the closet with you? And I said, come on in here. And he sits down on a little stool, and I'm kind of hanging some stuff up. And while I'm hanging up, I, I, he, he starts to say something, and I look down, and he's rubbing some pants of mine that are hanging on the lower tier. He's rubbing these pants. And he looks at me, and he goes, Pops, you have good clothes. He likes the way they feel is what he means. And he keeps rubbing them. He says, Pops. And then he goes, he says, Pops, I like your clothes. By the way, just a footnote. He wanted to come up and visit here on Thursday. And so our daughter brings him and our our one-year-old up here. And our one-year is just chilled. He's just, he's happy and chilled. But the other one is, he's in motion all the time, the three-year-old. And so they come down to the office, wanted to come down to the office, and he gets down there, and he visits with our ladies, and then he says, I want to see Pops' church. Now, I know, don't write me any notes saying it's really Jesus' church, it's not Pops' church. I know that, okay? So, and I'm trying to teach him that, okay? It's Jesus' church, but right now to him, it's Pops' church, okay? And so they come up here, and he's down there in the office, and he's going, I want to see Pops' church, I want to see Pops' church, and we're trying to figure out. We're saying, this, this is Pops' church. This is Pops' church. He says, I want to see Pops' church. Finally, it dawned on us when he watches us, this is what he sees. He sees this room here. And so we finally get it. I said, well, let me take him down there. And I walk him down here. He and I walk down here. And we come in back here. I turn the lights on, and we're coming down this center aisle. He gets about halfway down, and he looks up here. He says, is this where Pops preaches? And I said, yes, this is where Pops preaches. And he said, Pops, don't preach now. (laughs) 
I know some of you are thinking that too. <laughs> the Bible says a man's enemies will be those of his own household. <laughs> well, let me, back to the original point. But he said, Pops, you have good clothes. Pops, I like your clothes. Now, listen to me. Did you know God has good clothes? And they are tailor-made to wear into spiritual battle. They're good. And, and, and they're available. They don't do you any good hanging on the rack, do they? You can look at them and say, boy, good clothes. But until you put them on, they will not help you. And that's what Paul says right here. Put on the clothes of God for battle. There's some precepts that he gives us. Like this, wearing the armor is part of God's victorious strategy for you. That's why he continues on and starts articulating the various pieces. This is part of his strategy for you. And there are a lot of people, this is where they're losing the spiritual battle. They know there's a spiritual battle. Probably most of you who are watching, listening, in this live audience, you probably say, oh, yeah, I believe there's a spiritual battle. Now, you may, not, you may not go far enough to recognize how deeply involved in that battle you are. But a lot of people are getting beat up right here. A lot of Christians, this is where they're losing is because they're not putting on the armor of God. They're trying to go. They say, God, I want to go in your power. Now, listen to this. The power and strength of God is connected to the armor of God that you wear. That's why he goes on to listen. So he starts off, he says, look, you got to be strong in the strength and the power of God. And to do that, you've got to put on this armor. This is strategic armor. It is an armor that will help you uh, face the enemy successfully. God has the armor made. And wearing the armor is part of his victorious strategy for you. And you may be losing the spiritual battles simply because, not because you don't know the battles going on. Not because you don't uh, know the armor exists. But because you're not putting the armor on. And then I would tell you, putting the, on the armor is our responsibility. Now, Remember I told you in the previous point that when it says be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, that that's an imperative? Y'all have heard me preach enough to know what an imperative is, as I said before. An imperative is a command, okay? This is a command. This is in the imperative as well. When he says put on the armor, the whole armor of God, that's another command. That's another imperative. And so these are connected, that his power and his armor are connected to help us experience victory against the schemes, he says, of the devil. But it is our responsibility. Just like he says, you be strong in the Lord, he's saying, you put on the armor that I have provided. And then also, we're to, to take a stand. We're to take a, having put on the armor, he said, stand. And by the way, he says this uh, uh, again in verse 13. He tells us uh, to stand. We, here's, here's what he's saying to you. Uh, 
the armor, the order of the uh, putting on the armor is essential before you take your stand. The order is important. It's not always in Scripture, but in this case, the order is important. In other words, you can't stand in victory until you put on the armor. So don't try to stand and then say, oh, I, I need some more armor. Or I need a, a bit of armor. Put the armor on first so that you can stand. And having done all to stand, he says later on, stand. The armor is sufficient for the warfare. You can always have confidence that the armor of God is sufficient for any of the battles that you will face in spiritual warfare. Everything you need, you can see again through verses 13 to 18, the specifics of that. Go back and read that this week. This is our strategy and stance. That's what he gives us here in this, this battle. And if you want to experience victory in the battle, you've got to use the strategy that God has provided to you to be able to stand. And I didn't say that your armor won't get beat up some. I, I didn't say that there, there won't be uh, a times when your armor will be battered, but your armor will hold because it's God-designed. So when you're in a battle, and some of you are in a battle, right? I mean the intensity of the battle. You're in that kind of battle right now. And by the way, start thinking of your life in spiritual warfare terms, and it will help you say, oh, I need to make sure i got to have the armor on. This thing that's going on out there, you may say, well, that's just a coincidence. I don't think God operates a kingdom of co coincidence. And, and these things that are happening, you say, well, that's just, you know, that's just waited. There are things in life that we experience. Listen, we experience a lot of the pains and heartaches of this life because this world is broken. But don't believe for an instant that the devil doesn't use the brokenness of this world to advance, if he can, the spiritual battles in your life. And so that's why things that are physical going on in your world are oftentimes connected to a spiritual war. But the armor is sufficient, and it's our responsibility to put it on, all right? And so you got that? We have a strategy and stance. And then there's one final thing that I want to show you this morning. That is our sight and our struggle. Our sight and our struggle. Look at verse 12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Paul is trying to give us perspective on this thing. He's trying to say this. You've got to understand that your struggle, you've got to see your struggle in the right, uh, with the right perspective. You've got to recognize that that there's more going on than just what your physical eyes tend to tell you. You see, your physical eyes will always tell you there's a physical solution. And God uses physical solutions. Don't get me wrong. But I want to tell you something. Don't be naive and think because you, it's, uh, uh, all you can see is reality, you're missing something very important. And that is that there is a battle that you've got to understand. You've got to see with perspective. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but there are these uh, powers, uh, dominions, uh, and these spiritual forces that are battling in heavenly places. And to live as a victorious Christian, pleasing to the Lord, we must understand and see beyond 
just what we see with our physical eyes. We have to live with this higher perspective on the events of our life and the things going on uh, in our world. And if we miss the fact that beyond our physical sight there's a spiritual war, guess what? You're going to be victimized by Satan and his uh, forces. Uh, You'll be victimized by his scheme if you don't understand there's something bigger going on. I'm convinced that the devil does not want you to get this. I'm convinced that the devil does not want you to get this. I'm convinced uh, that the devil wants you to say, oh, that's fairy tale kind of stuff. That's movie kind of stuff. That there's no real cosmic battle going on that I can't see. If I were the devil, I'd want you to miss that completely because if you miss it, you won't be equipped for it. You won't prepare for it. And you certainly won't put on the armor of God. I'm convinced he doesn't want you to think like this, to understand this. He doesn't want you to see beyond your physical eyes. And he doesn't want you to recognize that much, if not all, of the test of your faith, the temptation to sin that you face, the challenges of your life, he doesn't want you to see that as having a connection to spiritual warfare. People, listen to me. The devil is a gifted manipulator. He is talented in deception. And he is a master at playing head games with us. Tim Downs, in his book, Head Game, he writes about psychological operations as a form of warfare. It's referred to as psyops. Maybe you've heard that term before. And it's an ancient art that's been used uh, for um, millennia in warfare. As far back as we can record to Alexander the Great, And there was one occasion when Alexander the Great, who conquered the world, you know, but his army was on one occasion in retreat from a larger army, and he called his armorer to come and construct helmets and shields that would reflect a person that was seven or eight foot tall. And then what they would do is they retreated, they would leave these in the sand and on the battlefield as they retreated so that when the enemy came across them, they find these shields that were meant for men uh, seven, eight feet tall and helmets for these giants, and they would lose heart. And because they would lose heart, they they would cut off their pursuit because they feared having to fight these giants. They'd abandon their pursuit. It was all head games. It was all head games. I want to tell you something. In a similar manner, Satan loves to play head games with us too. Do you remember when the 12 spies went in to spy out the land of, uh, of Israel before they crossed over and took the land, and there were only two uh, who came back and said that we can do this? Uh, but you remember that they came back and they brought a, a bad report. 10 of them brought a bad report. Do you remember what they said about the inhabitants of the land flowing with milk and honey? They said, there are giants in the land. And here's what they said. Listen, this is an operative phrase in that passage. There are giants in the land and we became as grasshoppers in our own sight. Because we saw them, we assumed something about us. But you know, the other two said, it doesn't matter who's in the land, because God is on our side. 
And God has told us to go into the land. Listen, friend, brother, sister, watching this, listening to this, in this live audience, listen. Don't get your eyes on the enemy. Get your eyes on the king. I don't care what, because the devil will always look like the one with the, the big shield and the big helmet, and, and it will demoralize you, and I, he'll play those kind of head games. We assume that Satan is bigger or greater than he really is. Now, he, you're no match for him alone, but with God, he's no match for God and you. One of the best ways, I think it is, to overcome these psyop operations, these head games of the devil, is to put our eyes on the greatness of God. To really think about that. And I was thinking about what Job said. Job uh, records in, well, he records the words of God in Job 38, where God says to him, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Big God, huh? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off the dimensions of the world? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? And who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. You know what he's saying? Do you understand who I am? I laid the boundaries. The angels sang for joy at my work. I, I, do you understand how big I am? That's what God was reminding Job of in those passages, chapter 38 and 39 and, and on. He's saying, let me just tell you about who I am. I want to tell you something. Get your eyes on who he is, not on who the enemy is. And by the way, this war that we're in has already been won. The cross was the great conquering moment of the war. When Jesus came out of the grave, it was finished. All of it was done. But the devil continues to fight, doesn't he? He continues to fight. And so uh, uh, we got to make sure we see correctly so we'll understand the struggle that's going on. We keep our focus on the greatness of God. Your adversary is defeated, but he also continues because he doesn't understand all of that just yet. By the way, the Bible says if the devil had have understood what was going on at the cross, he would have tried to step in and prevent the crucifixion. For He thought he was winning when he crucified Jesus. But see, he, he, does, he, he doesn't know all things, by the way. He can't be in all places. He assumed his strategy was the winning strategy. And then three days later, the grave was conquered, and he realized, uh, uh-oh, uh, this didn't turn out like I thought it was going to. And there was the declaration of victory. But he has continued to fight. Why is that? You, do you, I mean, that's a legitimate question. And so why does he fight if the battle's over? I'll tell you why he fights. He fights out of pure hatred for God. He hates God. And he hates anything associated with God. He hates it. And so it's, it's spite. I may be going down, but I'm going to do as much damage as I can on the way down. If I, can, if I can keep more, because God loves, for God so loved the world. If I can keep more people from understanding the love of God, if I can take more people to hell, take that God. That's his mindset. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep fighting and fighting and fighting until I can't fight anymore because I hate God. And, and, and 
And he's saying, I want to take down anything and everything I can that affirms the kingdom of God. So you're an object of his hatred as a Christian. And uh, so he keeps battle, but we, we, battling, and, but we keep our focus on the greatness of God. And then we keep our perspective about the battle. Do not think, when you leave here today, do not think that the battles you are facing are purely earthly. Hello? Listen, we must see beyond the physical eyes. And we must see beyond the physical world. So we have to keep perspective about the battle. And then we must keep in mind what I just stated to you, that even though the war has been won, the enemy has not surrendered. And that's why you're still a target. Because he hasn't surrendered yet, even though he's conquered. It was 1944, a World War II sub-lieutenant, Hiro Anoto. He was a part of the Imperial Japanese Army, and he was ordered to stay on Lubang Island in the Philippines and to hold that island for the glory of the emperor. And so he did. The following year, however, the Allies bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and shortly thereafter, as you know history, the Japanese surrendered. But after the war ended... Onodo did not know that the war had ended. And on the island of Lubang, he kept on fighting for the entire next year. And then the next year, he kept fighting. And then the next year. And 29 years later, he was still fighting to try to hold Lubang Island for Japan. Even when the police searched the, through the jungle there using megaphones to to try to ask him to surrender and stop shooting the local people. He continued to fight on, and he refused to give up. And finally, in 1974, they found his wartime commanding officer, and they brought him to the island, and that officer convinced him that the war was over. And he could stop fighting. Do you know that's a picture of the devil? He doesn't know the war is over. He's still fighting. He still thinks that his kingdom can win. But his kingdom has been defeated. You don't have to be a defeated Christian. You can be a victorious Christian. The devil will continue to fight until one day Jesus steps out of the clouds and touches down and says, I've had enough, no more fighting, this is over. But until then, he'll keep harassing the saints. He'll continue to try to undermine the church. He'll continue to battle the kingdom of light and its saints. Be victorious. How? By being strong in the strength of his might, and by putting on the full armor of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we forget so easily about the real battles that are going on. We just tend to think that they're just all our, our life and the things that are happening in our life, but God, there's so much more there. Keep our eyes fixed on you and keep our mind fixed 
with the knowledge that there is a bigger battle going on. Lord, I pray that we'll not be the victims of the psyops of Satan, of the head games that he plays, but that, Father, our assurance will be in knowing you, having your armor, and being filled with your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for any that are listening to me, that are watching, that are in this live audience, that have never trusted you, that today would be a day where they trust you. The first step of successful spiritual warfare is to have a relationship with our conquering hero, Jesus Christ. And for any that have never done that, today would you cause them to call upon you to say from their hearts right now, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me in spite of me. Right now, I call on you. Just as you said, whoever shall call upon you will be saved. I'm calling upon you. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. Become my Savior today. Lord, I know that you hear that prayer because you've already promised. Pray that you will give those who prayed that prayer the courage, Father, to take the next steps in their new relationship with you. And now, Lord, for those who are are listening and watching in this live audience, Father, those who are right now saying there's an intense spiritual war going on in my life, help them to put their eyes on you, see how big you are, how great you are. Help them, Father, to recognize that in your strength they can fight on. Help them to put on your armor as they face the enemy. Lord, thank you that you love us so much that you fill us with your Holy Spirit and you give us armor to make it in this battle-worn, weary life. We love you for that, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's time for our invitation, and I'm going to invite you to stand with me, if you will. I'll be at the front, as always, staff members on the side, and maybe there's a decision for you to make. Maybe you prayed that prayer. You called upon the Lord to be your Savior. Would you slip out from the balcony or this ground floor, come down here to me or one of our staff and say, today I trusted Christ as my Savior. I gave my life, my eternal soul to Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I've already done that, but I need a church home, a church family. Uh, Every week people do it. Many have already done it this week. Maybe it's you. Maybe this is the Sunday that you say, I need to link my life with a family, a body of Christ, and I want Ridgecrest to be that one. I sure hope it will be. We're not perfect, and I'm not a perfect pastor, but we're a healthy congregation. And I invite you to come and link your life with the work that God is doing through this family. Maybe you want to come and pray around this altar. Take advantage of that spiritual warfare. By the way, if you read on in that passage, the very last thing he talks about is praying always because of the battle. Maybe you just want to come and kneel before him. There's stuff you need to talk to him about. There are people you're praying for that are going through spiritual warfare. There are people uh, that need the Lord. You have some decision. Whatever, just come and pray. Kneel before him. There's power there. Whatever he moves in your heart to do, maybe you need to be baptized and you've never been biblically baptized, let's get that scheduled for you. Whatever it is, as Aaron and the choir sing, you slip out right now. Come on.